0: I'm Tommy Salmons, this is Year Zero. To hear it anymore Hey, we, we need to mention uh Amazon Smile Benevity Cyber Grants Just Giving and Guide Star. Tell us tell us a little bit about that real quick.
1: Yeah, so okay, first of all, Amazon Smile is where um the Libertarian Institute is registered. We're a 501c3 nonprofit and we're registered with Amazon Smile, <clears> and that means so that whenever you um go through smile.amazon.com and choose the Libertarian Institute as your favorite nonprofit, um, organization there then we get a little bit of a cut from their end of the sale from whatever you buy there as long as you're on smile.amazon.com and signed up for the institute
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so that's a great way to help support and then those other things you listed there are um benevity and uh just giving and let me see i have the list here guides um
0: guide star and cyber grants is what you sent me
1: yeah there you go so all these are um they're organizations that essentially are clearing houses for corporations who provide um matching funds to uh, their employees' donations to nonprofit institutions. So in other words, you take a company like Benevity, what they do is they go to Apple or Verizon or uh General Motors or whoever and they say, Hey, instead of having an expensive department where you find what charities are acceptable to you, you just come to us and we will only list guys that we have vetted that you can feel comfortable doing matching funds for. And then your employees, when they want to donate to any of these things, you give matching funds and uh, you'll know that it's all right to do so. And so then they do all the vetting themselves. And so that's essentially what all of these things are is if you have a corporate job, And your uh, company has a matching funds type of a function then um, what you do is you you uh, I guess have them check with whichever company they use just giving or Benevity or the others and see if we're registered with them and then like you're just saying we are so um, that means then you can double all your donations to the Libertarian Institute Uh, And make your boss uh, Donate to us, too. So that's pretty good. And uh, it is our big fun drive, you know, for the from now until the end of the year, we're trying to raise enough money to, you know, really have a great start for the first year of the next decade here and really get the Libertarian Institute off on the right foot and. um, And make a stronger Institute, better writers, new website, events new books. Sheldon's working on a book. Thomas Edlam is working on a new Will Grigg book. Mm. I'm working on a book. Um, All these will be coming out in the next year. And um, hopefully we'll be doing events and doing everything we can to grow this institute for you. And so uh, it's our big fun drive. It's right at the top of the page today at libertarianinstitute.org. And uh, always at libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. And we have books and audiobooks and all kinds of great uh, gifts and premiums and kickbacks uh, for people who donate as well. So that's all at libertarianinstitute.org slash donate. And thanks for letting me say that.
0: Yeah. I had the pleasure of speaking with Mike Meharry this morning. Um, he's a writer for the Tenth Amendment Center and um, the host of the God podcast. He came onto the program to discuss the Defend the Guard Act, which is um, entering the state legislatures in the upcoming session, uh, I believe, starting in January for most states. And we discuss the Defend the Guard Act, um, how this may affect the federal government's power um, with foreign policy. There are moments as you're hearing right now that I might sound a little distant, uh, for y'all, those of y'all who do not know, um, Pinky, the, the dog that makes appearances in the podcast every now and then has, uh, has passed away and I had to bury him yesterday. So, um, it's been, it's been a pretty difficult, uh, you know, not even 24 hours yet. Um, so just uh bear with me for this episode and uh we'll we'll get back into our normal tirades as soon as uh I feel capable. <laughs> All right, I hope y'all enjoy this episode of uh with Mike Maharry. All right, let's see. This should be it. Alright, so, I am here with Mr. Mike Meharry, my favorite resource on nullification and all things constitutional. Um, How are you doing this morning, Mike? I'm
2: doing great, man.
0: How are you? I'm doing awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you squeezing me in this morning. As we get our week started here.
2: Oh man, I'm glad to do it. Uh, this is an important topic, and excited to get the get the word out on what's going on,
0: man. Yeah? yeah, no, absolutely. And I was, I, I really wanted to find the, a way to get you get you on the podcast as soon as possible, so that we could possibly get some recognition and get some people talking about it. Um, maybe get the word spread out and 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 people know what's going on. Because I think at the moment, I don't think a lot of people really know what the Defend the Guard Act is. So can you uh, define that for us? Let us know uh, what's going on with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And You know, I think just to <coughs> kind of set things up, uh, people who have been following along with the news probably have heard about the papers that were released by the Washington Post, uh, I guess it was last week, uh, you know, basically showing that for the last uh, nearly two decades, the government's been lying to us about the war in Afghanistan trying to make us think things are going better than anticipated and uh, you know basically just ob- obfuscating and, and lying which is what the government does when it comes to war you know the government lies to get us into wars uh, it lies about what's going on during the wars and it lies for the reasons that the wars are being fought and um, one of the reasons that well, I mean that's the primary reason that the uh, founders and the framers of the Constitution and their wisdom uh, divided up war powers and you know, intended for Congress to make a declaration of war before the president was able to send troops willy-nilly into combat. And that's been ignored uh, basically since World War II. We haven't had a legitimate declaration of war, and we've gotten to the point now that basically the president just decides he wants to send troops off, and, and you know, next thing you know, we're in the next war. Uh, and the Defend the Guard Act is a way at the state level to at least try to chip away at the, uh, the abuse of war powers that we've seen in the executive branch and force Congress to do its job and actually at least debate uh, these wars and, and make a an official declaration. So what the Defend the Guard Act does very simply is it requires an actual – congressional declaration of war as required by the Constitution before a state will release its National Guard troops for combat operations in a foreign country. And, you know, it's interesting because over the last two or three decades, the military has depended uh, really heavily on National Guard units to fill in uh, and help the mission of the regular army. So, in essence, without National Guard assistance, the government's going to have a difficult time waging these wars. So, uh, if a number of states would actually pass this bill and put that kind of restriction on their National Guard units, it would at least force a debate in Congress. We may still have the wars when it's all said and done, but at least it would have to be done in a constitutional way. At least these uh, senators and representatives would be put on record. And would have to take responsibility instead of basically just passing it off to the president. So, uh, you know, this is a way that uh, we can actually have an impact on the warfare state uh, at the state level. And a uh, very important issue, I think. And uh, there's a representative in West Virginia, his name's Pat McGeehan, who has kind of spearheaded this effort. Uh, he's introduced this in the West Virginia legislature every year since 2016. And uh, last year, he actually was able to use some uh, parliamentary maneuvering and actually get it on the House floor. And when that happened, it created quite a bit of buzz. The goal this year is to get it introduced in at least 20 state legislatures. And if that happens, it's going to make national news. It's going to start the discussion. Uh, it's going to create a lot of uh, a lot of momentum, even if it doesn't get passed, which, of course, we hope it ultimately would. But even if it doesn't, uh, it gave a lot of discussion and uh, I think it will resonate with the public because, quite frankly, I think the American is tired of endless wars uh, being waged for really no reason whatsoever. So uh, it's a really important issue. It's a way that people can uh, push back at the state and local level. Congress doesn't listen to us. They don't want to have to have the responsibility of having to uh, debate and declare war. So uh It's going to put an awful lot of pressure on them. We already have it introduced. Of course, McGinn's going to introduce it again in West Virginia. It's already been pre-filed in Oklahoma and South Carolina. Uh, We have commitments from uh, Wyoming and several other states. And uh, like I said, the goal is to get it introduced in at least 20 states. And uh, I think that's a very distinct possibility for the 2020 legislative session.
0: Okay. And when when, when does that session start? When do we need to uh, be looking for this to uh, be butt up in the public attention as far as in front of the state legislatures?
2: Yeah, the, so most state legislatures run part-time, so they're not year-round. Most of the state legislatures will convene in January of 2020 for that session. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legislative sessions, of course it depends on the state, but generally they run between January and April or May. There are a few states that have year-round sessions Uh, There are some that start a little bit later. Uh, I I know Oklahoma doesn't start until February, but uh, for the most part, you'll start seeing uh, the legislatures open up uh, in January, usually the first or second week. And, uh, you know, usually bills are introduced pretty quickly, so we'll probably see a big flurry uh, in the uh, first part of the year and and then, uh, you know, We can see others introduced as as things move along. And, you know, it's interesting because states are kind of copycat. So, if it really does start to gain momentum, uh, we may well see it really take off uh, in in February or so.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I know uh, you – y'all had – I think it was you that published in the blog on 10th Amendment Center last week with the letter to send into the state legislatures. Can you tell us about that letter?
2: Yes, I was – Absolutely. I was just actually getting ready to mention that because this is a way that anybody who's listening can take five or ten minutes and and kind of help advance this movement. And, you know, think about that for a second. We, you know, when do you have an opportunity to really, in a significant way, push back against uh, unconstitutional wars with just uh, five or ten minutes of, of effort? Uh, Pat McGeehan has written a letter to uh, state legislators, and uh, you know, just does a fantastic job of summarizing uh, the uh, the issue and asking uh, these legislators to consider introducing this in their state legislators' state legislatures. And he sent it out through uh, a list that he has to uh, a, a whole big slew of state legislature state legislators across the country, but. There's nothing more powerful than a constituent interacting with their own representative and senator. You know, and it's interesting because we tend to think of politics in terms of our experience dealing with Congress. And I don't know about you, I've called Congress before, and it pretty much felt like a complete waste of time. You know, you, you call these guys up and, and you talk to some intern, and you know, three weeks later you get later you get a letter. Oh, we thank you for your phone call. I actually got a letter once that that was thanking me for something. It's not even what I had contacted Congress about. Uh, So, you know, it it feels pretty useless, but uh, state legislatures (coughs) are different animals, and quite frankly, they're not used to getting a whole lot of public pressure. And uh, it's been a number of years ago, but I actually talked to a state legislator up in Kentucky, and um, he told me that he has gone through entire sessions without ever hearing from a constituent on a particular bill. So when a state legislator actually gets interaction on a piece of legislation, they tend to be a little bit more, uh, they feel that pressure a little bit more than Congress. You can actually have an impact at the state level that you're not gonna have by calling Congress. So. What we would love people to do is go to the blog. It's uh, 10thamendmentcenter.com slash blog, I think is, or blog.10thamendmentcenter.com is what it is, blog.10thamendmentcenter.com. And uh, you can find this letter that Pat McGeehan has written. We've got it uploaded there. You can just download it. It's a PDF. Uh, Find your state representative's email and your state senator email. Attach that email, or attach that PDF document, that letter, to your email, write a few lines about why you think that this should be introduced and send it off to them. We would love to see state legislators getting, you know, four, five, 10, 20 emails from people in their districts asking them to introduce this bill. I think it'll increase the chances of getting it uh, sponsored and co-sponsored across the country. And the more states that do this, the more power that it's gonna have. So, uh, you know, like I said, it's a way that you can, in, in just five or 10 minutes with very little effort, a uh, few clicks, Google your uh, your state reps, and send that off to them, and have an impact, man.
0: Yeah, and I'll uh when I post this uh I'll post this up today, uh, this afternoon. It'll we'll, we'll have this uh, podcast up, and I'll make sure I put a link to that because I did I downloaded it to my phone, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be writing to the state legislature this week and sending that uh, to all the representatives I can get a hold of in Texas, which yeah, absolutely. don't know if it'll do good, any good in Texas, but we'll see. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, maybe people don't understand like how important the national guard is to the, the foreign policy of the United States. But I heard, I heard a statistic and you'd be able to correct me. Um, on this, but I heard a statistic that somewhere around like forty percent of the troops that were in Iraq were were national guard troops.
2: Yeah, that's the the statistic that I've heard as well. And it's interesting because as I've done, like I said, this uh, bill was introduced in both South Carolina and Oklahoma, and when I was writing reports for the Tenth Amendment Center website about the bill being introduced, I, uh, I went and looked at their guard units and t- to kind of see where their guard units had been deployed. And in both of those states, Oklahoma and South Carolina, national guard units from those states had been in Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Syria. Kosovo, huh. uh, Kuwait, um, I, I think it was uh, South Carolina that had a, a unit that was deployed into a country in Africa. So, yeah, these National Guard units are being deployed all over the world uh, for combat operations. And, uh, you know, again, if you look at what the National Guard is supposed to be, uh, it was – It's the evolution of the state militia, and if you look at the uh, act that actually established the National Guard, it actually says in that law that it was established based on the militia clauses in the Constitution. So uh, for legal purposes, the National Guard is the state militia. Now we we can talk about whether or not uh, that's what the militia was intended to be or not, but regardless, that's the legal justification for the National Guard. The National Guard is only supposed to be deployed for three purposes to, you know, repel an invasion, to deal with an insurrection. And, you know, now that I started saying that off the top of my head, I'm not going to remember the third one Uh to enforce the laws of the union. Yeah. So only three reasons that the National Guard is supposed to be deployed. Uh, Fighting a war in Iraq is not among those three reasons. So all of these guard deployments are patently unconstitutional. So this is something that really is, is a way for the states to reestablish at least some semblance of constitutional control over their own state militias. And, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's not only a legal issue. It's a very practical issue for, uh, for the military because they depend on these guard and reserve units to fill in. Uh, because they've shrunk the size of the of the regular army and, and other branches of the military, so uh, this can have a a very strong impact, and is certainly going to get the Pentagon's attention. In fact, from what I understand, there's already been some uh, some letters sent back and forth, and, and Pat McGeehan got pushed back way back in 2016. And here's what's going to happen. I'll just kind of warn people, uh, kind of what to expect. The uh, the. Department of Defense is going to threaten these states with just removing their National Guard units, you know, defunding them, uh, moving those units to other states uh, and you know, they may well try to do that, but I think people should be encouraged by the fact that it would be very difficult, especially if you had 10 or 15 states that actually passed this bill. There's no way that the Department of Defense is going to easily be able to disband those units, transfer them to other states. Uh, The logistics and the expense of doing that is going to be tremendous. It's going to put a, a whole lot of pressure on the Pentagon no matter what they try to do. And, you know, anytime something like this goes down, you're going to get threats from the federal government. We're going to cut funding. We're going to we're going to do this. We're going to do that. They say a lot of things. Doing those things is a whole lot more difficult than they want you to believe. Uh, you know, a few years ago, um, more than a few years ago now, it's probably been five, six, seven years ago, when they first put the naked body scanners in the airport, Texas was like a gnat's hair away from passing a bill that would have criminalized the. Uh, groping by tsa agents mm-hmm. would have basically made it a sexual assault yeah uh, it actually this bill passed the uh, texas house and was it was going to pass the senate from what i understand and then all of a sudden you know here comes the federal government and they were sending out letters and saying we're going to shut down all of the airports in texas and, and unfortunately <coughs> the politicians in austin caved in on it but i don't think the federal government ever would have really closed every airport in the state of Texas. I mean, think about what that would have meant. You know, it would have basically shut down the entire uh, commercial airline system in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. you have uh, major hubs in Dallas and in Houston. There's, there's no way the federal government was going to do that, and then have to t- explain to the American public, oh yeah, we're shutting down uh, the air system because we want our uh, agents to be able to grab your crotch. <laughs> that's, that's not an argument that the federal government's going to want to make. Uh, and so I really wish that the, uh, that the. Senators that had the guts to just say you know what go pound sand. We're doing this And if you want to shut them down go for it. Yeah, uh, because I don't think the federal government would have ever done it It was a bunch of hot air yeah. And I think that's true when when the Pentagon comes along and says well, we're gonna deactivate all of the guard units in any state That passes this bill. They're not gonna do it because again They're gonna have to look at the public and say you know what we're gonna we're doing this because we don't want to have to declare war like the Constitution requires well, I you know
0: okay, let's have that discussion then. Yeah, I, no, absolutely, and well, and when if they if they have to vote and they, to declare war, you know, um, as the Constitution requires, it's going to bring more attention to how many different countries that the United States is engaged in. Number one, um, right. You know, I, I I mean, people. I know it, it, I know that people don't pay as much attention to Congress as maybe they should but some of that is the media's fault in not covering it so I guess right. the, the media could do like they do with the NDAA and just kind of ignore the issue altogether when the vote does come up and then nobody will really know um, but but at least y- you have a, an opportunity to hold these people accountable um, as they're as they're voting and you know you were you were talking about the three reasons that the National Guard is is uh, justifiably you know put in into action, and I I was it made me remember um, when Katrina came through, and they couldn't get the National Guard troops into New Orleans to do the uh, to to actually help with the evacuation and assistance. Because uh, they were on their way back from Iraq or Afghanistan they were they had been deployed yep. and then uh, when Katrina hit there was nobody there was no national guard there to actually take action
2: right yeah I mean that's the that's the absurdity of it you know the National Guard the militia is supposed to be first and foremost for the defense of the state uh, and and then you know secondarily for the defense of the entire country. Uh, it was never intended to be an offensive military force, and that's what it's turned into. And so when you, uh, you know, send troops off to do all of these things that uh, aren't really within their scope, then they can't actually do the job that they're supposed to be doing. And, and mm-hmm. we saw that. You're absolutely right very vividly with Katrina when they had to bring in National Guard units from other states because the Louisiana National Guard was off you know, fighting. I think it was in Iraq. Uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, it may
0: have been, yeah. uh,
2: and and so, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of absurd, and you know, again, the the entire warfare state is what I call it. It has grown so completely out of control since nine eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been engaged in war perpetually and continually uh, for almost two decades. We have. Young people now that weren't even alive when Afghanistan started being sent to Afghanistan to fight in this war—that we now know that the government's been lying to us about for the last 18 years—and there has to be some kind of check on this power. And you know, like you said, uh, if if Congress has to at least debate this and at least formally declare war, that's gonna make news. Uh, they're not going to be able to hide all of these military operations under these uh, vague you know, authorizations to use military force. You have troops in Syria based on the authorization to use military force to go after the terrorists of 9-11. I mean, how absurd is that? And you know, that's the reason that the founding generation wanted the legislature to have control over making war. The reason was it was supposed to be a deliberative body that actually represents all of the people. And so they're supposed to debate it, out, decide when, if, and how America goes to war. The only thing the president's supposed to do is execute what Congress directs them to do. And it's interesting. You can go back to, like, the uh, Barbary pirates. Uh, back, Thomas Jefferson was president. Mm-hmm. And the Congress had to actually pass a number of different uh, statutes and and resolutions and directions because Thomas Jefferson refused to take action until he was specifically directed by Congress to do it. Uh, so, you know, that's the model that we should have. That creates some accountability and control. Everybody knew the kings had a vested interest in going to war. You know, it's it's good for a president to go to war. In fact, I was reading the other day and, and I, I don't have the, uh, the citation for this and it could be Uh, You know, I'll say that with the caveat that maybe this isn't exactly true, but if it isn't, it certainly could be that uh, that George W. Bush, uh, Daddy Bush, told Junior that in order to get reelected, you need a war. You need to preside over a war. Uh, You know, there was that old movie, Wag the Dog. Uh, That was this whole, you know, the whole plot was that. President creates this war in order to get reelected. People love wars, mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of politics, because it unites us together. As uh, Randolph Bourne said, "It's the war is the health of the state." So we need to have that legislative and congressional control over. Over the issue of war. That's exactly what the founding generation wanted. You can go back and read the debates uh, of the Constitution. They talked about this constantly. Even George Washington. You know, George Washington uh, actually at one point said, I can't engage in any offensive operation without the approval of Congress. Uh, so this isn't even really debatable. Um, the, the Congress has obfuscated and uh, passed off its. Uh, decision-making to the president. And the result is we have uh, trillions of dollars spent, thousands of lives lost, and uh, uh, an environment that is basically constantly embroiled in war. And James Madison warned us that you can't have liberty in a state of perpetual war. Uh, So all of this impacts us directly down the line because when you have perpetual war you end up with the surveillance state you end up with the militarization of police you end up with less freedom at home higher taxes more debt all of these things that crush our own personal liberty because these politicians want to run around all over the world uh, and and play empire building so uh, i think that this uh, this legislation is probably one of the most important things we'll see at the state level, uh, certainly this year and, and even in years to come, because if, you know, if we can't do anything else, if we could simply lean in all of the wars, uh, it would be a huge win for liberty.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and accountability. And, you know, it, you, you bring up the, the, the money spent and, and resources wasted on these wars, but what i just i just ran into a book the other day at a truck stop and it's um it's a book of short stories um by i, I think the guy's name is phil clay it's called redelementment and um it's it's he 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 was in the military and and the and the the premises of of every one of the stories it's it's his what is he, what he's trying to do is he doesn't get into the policies or how bad the policies are that send these kids over to war. But he gets into the, how being in this environment affects these guys um, emotionally yeah, and, and people, you know, people talk about it. You know, they talk about the 22, you know, suicides a day. Um, I've even heard some people talking about how many kids are committing suicide actually in Uh, the combat zones. Um, But what, what these kids are being asked to do is, is not healthy. And, and this, this is, you know, this is truly life saving, you know, being able to, to refuse to enter um, an offensive war and, 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 and waste these, these 18, 19, 20 year old kids lives you know, to empower the state. And I think that's, that's extremely important that we pay attention to the, the cries and the, and, and the, and the devastation that this is waging, not only in other countries, but in the lives of our own, uh, of our own children. Um, My son is, is talking about joining the Marines next year. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want him to, but I don't, I don't want to be that father. that's like, I'm going to do you, you know? So it's, it, right. it's, it's like, I have to worry. And I told him whenever he told me, I, I told him, I said, look, man, I'm not worried about you getting killed in combat. I said, I'm worried about what happens to you mentally whenever you're in combat. You know, that's, that's much more likely, you know, to, to be a reality. I have a friend who was in the Navy and that suffers from PTSD, just from the things that he experienced in Haiti and, and things of yep. that nature. And, you know, it's 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 real. It's it's horrible. And, and we have to be aware that, you know, war, you know, for the sake of empire is is not only devastating other countries, but it's also devastating our children and their future. And, uh, you know, you know, by, by engaging with the state legislatures and finding a way to to, uh, almost like a go around to, to nullify the, the federal legislation and, and the foreign policy of the United States for the last two decades, um, that, that actually gives us some hope and, um. I really hope that that more that people are going to engage in this this uh, in, in, with their state legislatures and and bring attention to this issue.
2: Yeah, that's you I mean, you make a really good point too about the uh, just the the psychological effects and and I would even go a step farther and say the spiritual aspect of, uh, of what war does to the people of a country and you know this was no mystery to the folks during the founding generation. In fact, James Madison, you know, he, he wrote a um, a passage about war, and he said of all the enemies to public liberty, war is perhaps the most to be dreaded. And he goes through and he lists the things that uh, that that war results, and he talks about war being the parent of debt and taxes. Uh, he says it's the known instrument for bringing the many under the domination of the few, uh, and he talks about the fact that it it expands. The uh, you know the power of the government, uh, particularly of the executive branch. But I think it was really interesting. At the end of this passage, he talks about how war, as he put it, uh, it creates a degeneracy of manners and morals. Uh, it, it has an impact on the psyche of the country. I and mean, you know, I don't want to get all collectivist uh, because I'm not a collectivist in any sense of it. But I do think there's a sense that uh, the 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 impact of war. Uh, creates the uh, a mentality in society uh, where it does create a degeneracy of manners and morals. It it lowers our um, our sense of the importance of human life. You know, we start to uh, uh, not value life as much. Uh, you know, particularly the enemy. But then that kind of seeps into the consciousness, and and it uh, it creates this mentality that uh, you know. Killing is a good thing, and and then like you say, it, it's a tremendous uh, impact on the lives of the young men and women who are asked to go fight these wars. And you know, it's one thing if you're being attacked. Uh, you know, if, if the if the hordes are, uh, you know, landing on the beaches of uh, you know Florida or Texas or whatever. Yeah, you know, obviously you have to stand up and defend uh, defend your your place, but. Uh, to just be going and, and, and fighting these wars, it's it's tremendous cost, and you know we've seen it. And I've talked to some of these guys who have been over there, and they've talked about what they've seen. And, and it's interesting how many libertarians you find uh, in the ranks of former military folks, particularly uh, the the you know rank and file soldiers who had who were the boots on the grounds because they've seen the futility of it. Uh, they, they, they've known all along that the government's been lying to us. You know, they didn't need Pentagon papers to tell us that. Right. Uh, so I, I think that's a really good point. It's something that cannot be understated, uh, the impact of, of war on, uh, you know, our children. And, you know, like you said, I've, I've, I've got a son that's, that's 20 years old, uh, you know, he hasn't shown any interest in being in the military but you no know, there's it's not out of the question at some point that somebody might decide it's a good idea to start drafting these kids yeah um, you know, it's it's uh it's it's a scary thing and I wouldn't hesitate to tell my son to do whatever he could to get out of the country or whatever because there's there's no reason to go be cannon fodder for some politician
0: absolutely yeah and you know I don't know do you know the do you know the statistics of how many um kids are are national guard versus uh regular military do you do you have the numbers i, I do not okay you know, I, I was just curious um i was just curious if if we i i'll i'll see if i can't find that somewhere um but you know it's it's really it's really difficult for me um uh, to to look at this in and, and not see the the benefits i I'm, I'm trying to, the only the only thing I can think of that might this this wouldn't affect are these um these covert operation missions um in which they're using special forces but there are special forces which in the, within the national Guard I don't know how much uh, they're being used in countries like Somalia. Yeah,
2: I know for a fact that the West Virginia National Guard has a uh, special forces unit in it Mm. that has been deployed numerous times. Uh, That was something that Pat uh, McGeehan brought up, the legislator there in West Virginia. So, you know, and and certainly you're not going to, you know, we're not going to stop with with this legislation. I don't I don't have, uh, you know, delusions of grandeur. What I do know it will do, we'll put pressure on the uh, the national government. It will force Congress, uh, if if enough states pass this, it would force Congress to at least declare war. That's not to say that they won't, but at least they would have to do it. They'd have to have the discussion. They'd have to be on record, and you know these Congress critters would have to go back to their uh, their districts and face their voters and and justify why uh, they're you know sending their kids off to to die in these wars. And so, you know, that's a net plus. It, it's not the end-all, cure-all. We're, we're fighting a behemoth government that mm-hmm. you know, does what it wants to do. But I think anything that we can do to have an impact is, is an important step to take. And, uh, you know, who knows what type of momentum and, and other things that can grow out of this movement. Uh, you know, ultimately what we need is we need enough people to stand up and say we're tired of the wars. And I think that that is starting to bubble up in the mm-hmm. population You know, I think that part of Trump's appeal during the campaign was that he at least paid lip service to the idea of, uh, you know, America first and uh, not being in in every conflict across the globe. Now, unfortunately, actions haven't been quite what the rhetoric was, but uh, the fact that he was able to go into a a state like South Carolina and actually criticize the war in Iraq, I think that's a positive. Right. Uh, So— You know, I think this is another opportunity to bring this issue into the forefront, to talk about this issue, and to give people permission to say, you know, what we're tired of this, and it doesn't mean that I'm not patriotic or whatever. You know, I don't quite frankly personally care about being patriotic, but I know it's important to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we can say, you know, you can be a a quote-unquote good American and not uh, support every damn military intervention in. You know, some sand pile in the Middle East. That's just absurd to me. Right.
0: It makes me and, angry. Well, and in and, and, and to give Trump a little credit, he hasn't started a new war. But but we have to recognize <laughs> That's that true. that when Congress um, voted to, you know, end the support for the Saudi war in Yemen, as Scott puts it, America leading from behind against the Houthis. Right. Um, Trump vetoed that, which I just don't even see that as a legitimate power of the president to be able to veto, um, an issue of war in that manner. But he did and he got away. Um, and he still pays lip service to the idea of going to war with Iran. He still pays lip service in, in every war game. I think that it was the, I don't, I think it was the department of defense, um, has been running war games um, against Iran, you know, trying to figure out how they could defeat Iran, and there's just no feasible way in in an actual land war to to defeat Iran because of the terrain. That if you think Afghanistan right. has been just horrible, the the a war with Iran would be like ten times worse than Afghanistan, and. Yeah and these people want to send your kids to iran they they are looking for any excuse to do this and if if we can just chip away at some of these powers that that they believe that they have then um it it's worth fighting for
2: absolutely absolutely
0: it I'm I'm reading a book uh, well I'm um, one of several books. I I jump around from book to book because I don't I have like this really crazy attention span. Um but one of the books I'm reading is Presidents of War. And uh it's really interesting um and it talks about how how every president from Madison um or was no, not Madison. Uh I'm blanking on his name now. The second president. Um, Adams? Adams Adams. How if, from Adams to today has used war to expand the executive power and how that how that's come about and if 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 we can get we one of the major things that I hear a lot of people talk about not just libertarians but but conservatives as well and even some progressives you hear um, pay lip service to the idea of getting the executive branch back in check and 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 to stop having basically dictator type of, of authority over you know matters like war. So that this this movement is 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 worth spreading to everybody out there.
2: I've made this argument before. You know, conservatives talk about being limited government, and yet it seems to be that conservatives are the most apt to support, uh, you know, whatever f- foreign intervention that's on the table. Mm. And I've said over and over again that war is not conservative, because it's exactly like you just said; it expands the power of government, particularly the power of, of the presidency and of the executive branch. Uh, and you know. Robert Higgs, the the economist, he wrote some uh, fantastic book uh, and came up with this concept called the ratchet effect. Uh, and he talks about how you know every time there's a war, every time there's an expansion of government power, it ratchets up. Mm-hmm. And then it might you know after the war's over or after the crisis is over, a crisis in Leviathan is the name of the book. Uh, after the crisis is over, then you know it it might. Ratchet down a little bit, but it never goes back to what it was before. So, every crisis, you know, you end up pushing the uh, the power of government and the intrusiveness of government in your life up a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and, and then it never goes away. And, perfect example 9 11, the Patriot Act. I mean, they just. Uh, they just renewed provisions of the Patriot Act. This is something that happened after 9-11 that allows the federal government to basically spy on you. Mm. Uh, it was buried in an appropriations bill, and they expanded those or extended those powers even farther. Here we are 20 years out. You know, yep. uh, So the ratchet effect is a very real thing. And, and like you said, if you really believe in limited government, if that is something that is fundamental and foundational to your uh, your – political worldview, then you cannot support the endless wars because endless wars inevitably leads to bigger government. And if you're a progressive and you're not really concerned about big government, you still have to think about the fact that all of this executive power is in the hands of Donald Trump right now. You know, And uh, if you don't like Donald Trump and you don't want him to have all of this power, then you need to think ahead a little bit and maybe realize that the power that you give any given president is going to go to the next president and you don't necessarily know that that's gonna be a dude that you want uh, to have that kind of power. So uh, I say that everybody has a vested interest in uh, delimiting war and and ultimately limiting government because um, you know somebody said this once, I thought it was funny, but I think there's a grain of truth in it. You should never give uh, the federal government any kind of power, like like you would never give that power to your ex-spouse, you know,
0: <laughs>
2: you don't want them having that. So uh, Maybe we should think about how much power we give the government and, and think ahead about, you know, uh, all these Trump supporters who love all of the government expansions that Trump is into. Uh, keep in mind that the next president may not be somebody that you like, and they're going to have every bit of power that Trump did. So,
0: right. And well, and, and I think, I think conservatives can get concerned and, and, and maybe I maybe both of us can kind of speak a little bit to this. Um, I think conservatives are concerned that because it's it's typically typically it's the more conservative, more Republican households that send their kids off into the military into war. Um, yeah, I mean I know that's not a hundred percent accurate, but but for the most part, it's that's who joins the military. They they grow up in a patriotic, you know, household. They're their fathers and their grandfather military, and they're carrying on the legacy of their family and, 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 tradition. And I think they concern, they, they get concerned with, well, you're just, we're demonizing the troops. We're demonizing our children. And that's not what we're doing at all. We're discussing the policies and, and how devastating these policies are to those children. And, part of protecting those children and making sure that those children those those kids lives aren't wasted is standing up to the the expansion of empire and the federal government and saying look you're not going to send you're not going to waste our future generations just so you become more powerful and so you so you become richer and and more powerful you know you you look at it since 9-11 and that 8 of the 10 richest counties in the United States are are around Washington DC. This is no accident. All yep. these all these wars, right. people t- even the progressives want to talk about inequality. This is a this is a function of the wars and the Federal Reserve that have create that has created this small pool of wealth around the around the nation's capital.
2: Absolutely. And you know Military recruiting is is built on complete bullshit. Yeah. Let's well, just be call oh, it shit. like you it. It drives me crazy every time I see. Like yeah, I, I watch <coughs> sports and uh, you get a lot of military recruiting ads uh, during sporting events because you know a lot of young people watch sports mm-hmm. and it's it just drives me crazy because they make it look like a video game. Right. You know. Uh, it's going to be like going out and playing call of duty in real life and you know it's going to be so cool and 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 it's a bunch of crap they're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to lose your hand and end up crazy they don't ever show that part you know yeah uh and and then this this whole notion with the national guard especially you know oh just uh you know one weekend a month and Two weeks a year, and then you get to go help people in hurricanes. You know, they don't tell these kids that they're going to send them off to, to die in some desert, right? Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. This isn't a, a condemnation of, of the, the military, even, it's a condemnation of the politicians and the policies that perpetuate empire building and endless war and use these kids as cannon fodder again for the whims of politicians you know because uh because somebody has the opportunity to get rich by destroying a country and then rebuilding it or you know uh, absconding with their resources so uh this is for the troops if you are a supporter of the military then you should absolutely be for this you should be you should not support them being sent off to war in uh, a way that is outside of the constitution and you should support any check and balance to make sure that if we are going to send uh, these young people off to fight, that it's for a damn good reason and not just because some politician has a bug up his butt.
0: Right. Yeah, the day, that, the day that Congress and lobbyists lead the charge into a, a battlefield is the day I support a war
2: absolutely I like I'd be awesome if they could just like get the politicians to you know, put them in a ring and let them fight it
0: out <laughs> right and then
2: the winner can be the winner.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I mean in, in reality that's what this is that this is the 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 argument yeah. the, this is a this is a fight between governments. It has nothing to do with me. like I don't have any beef with people in yep. Afghanistan i they they're way over there. Right. I didn't even know about Afghanistan before they started sending kids over there. I imagine there's some perfectly nice people in Afghanistan. I you know what I I assume nice
1: people in Iran.
0: I I assume that they would much rather be live and let live than be occupied by a a dominant force like the United States military. I I would just assume that to be Um, accurate.
2: I'd say that's one hundred percent accurate. I mean, (laughs) think about that for a minute. I ask people to have this thought experiment sometimes, you know. Mm. Imagine if some foreign soldier was standing at your street corner uh, with the, you know, uh, big rifle and, uh, you know, shot one of the kids in the neighborhood because uh, they construed him as a – I mean, how would you react to that? <clears throat> you know, I mean, you you would – most people would stand up and fight back. Right. And this, this notion that, you know, somehow we should blame – people in Iran or there's a funny uh, it's a funny meme but it's not not inaccurate that shows all of the military bases are, that are around Russia and the caption is something to the effect of how dare Russia put its country so close to our military bases you yeah, know? yeah well there's a lot of truth in that it's a mm-hmm. it's, uh, there's a lot of antagonism and uh, um, you know kind of poking the bear so to speak and with Russia that's a that's a pun intended but uh, you know we we create these problems and then blame people when they react in a in a way that's entirely appropriate for the problem that's being created yeah. and that's why I would like to see uh, you know I, I love the the idea of Thomas Jefferson's foreign policy uh, peaceful trade and interaction with all uh, entangling alliances with none
0: yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. And, and that, that's actually the, the um, this book actually starts off talking about Jefferson, that president's war. It starts talking about Jefferson and how he put the sanctions on England and how that's what led to the war of 1812. Yep. And, um, you know, in, in, in one of the things it says in the, in the, in the beginning chapter, in the opening chapter is talking about Jefferson's foreign policy and how even at that time, the, that Congress was laughing at him. That they were they were mocking him for being such a quote unquote pacifist, which I don't think he was a pacifist at all. I think he just believed in self-defense and not offense. But right but yeah it it's it's been in the I don't know how it, it, it became the <laughs> the dominant idea of of men. Maybe this is just uh, thousands of years of, of Conquest and domination um, You know soaked into Our evolutionary memory Or however that works But um, yeah it's it's Even from the beginning of the country You know there were The war hawks so to speak that, that wanted to go to war The only difference is they actually Had fought in a war prior to Sending your kids off to die
2: Well yeah so which also goes, kind of goes to show, you know, even a lot of the a lot of the politicians in the founding generation that talked a good game, uh, like Jefferson, Madison, even were not immune from the allure of the power that mm, yeah. military conquest would would give them. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, the the foreign policy of, of Jefferson <clears throat> led to the War of eighteen twelve. That was a war that Madison, uh, you know, was was the he was the one that that got that one kicked off and, and, you know, yet he wrote so eloquently about the, the terrors and dangers of war. So, right. uh, I guess the, uh, the lesson there is that all politicians suck ultimately.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it's funny that it's, it's embedded in the constitution that you, you will not fund, uh, the military for more than two years. And then you turn around and you look back and, you know, George Washington was funding the military, you know, the entire time he was in office, you know, he fought what yeah. he fought off what 21 different rebellions or something like that. So,
2: right. Yeah. And had the Indian war. I mean, it, there, there's a, um, I, I want to say it's 17 years. There's not very many years that the U S has been completely at peace.
0: Really? Yeah. I, I think it was
2: seventeen. Is I think seventeen is the number. It's it's low like that, like mm-hmm. less than two dozen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, for a country that's two hundred and forty years old, you would. You know, what, what do you expect? Yeah. So, yeah. Right. But you know, um, is, uh, let's uh, let's, uh, let's get back to this defend the <laughs> defend the guard act. I can we could go off on foreign policy and the history of our foreign policy for for a long time here. <laughs> so, um, is there what are the what are any closing? Uh, comments you have on the Defend the Guard Act?
2: Well, I think that, you know, I just want to reiterate that the most important thing uh, is to get public support of these bills when they're introduced. Uh, We've already talked about how folks can Uh, get involved in trying to get them introduced in their state by sending, you know, emails, calling up their uh, state legislators, sending Pat McKeon's letter and those type of things. It's going to be equally important once these bills are introduced to support them and to call your representatives and your senators and let them know that you support the bill and and make them feel the public pressure to encourage them to pass this legislation, I can't emphasize enough how important public pressure is, particularly in state legislator le- legislatures. And again, to resist ha- uh, the the mentality that we have kind of have ingrained in us, having dealt with Washington D.C. for a long, so long, that well, they're not going to listen to me. Um, you know, not saying that there's not lobbyists and money and all of that stuff in state politics because it's certainly there, but to much less a degree than in Washington, D.C., and the average person has much more influence and clout in the state legislature than they do uh, in in their Congress. So once these bills are introduced, and like I said, they've already been pre-filed in Oklahoma and South Carolina. Keep up with what's going on at the 10th Amendment Center uh, at the blog, 10thamendmentcenter.com. Mm. And uh, you know, when you see that it's been introduced in your state, make sure you take a few minutes. Call your state legislator, your state senator, and let them know that you support this legislation, that you would like them to vote yes. Uh, that, you know again, it's something that will take you 10 or 15 minutes. It can make a huge impact. I have literally seen bills – get passed out of a committee simply because 30 or 40 people took the time to call committee members and say, hey, we want this bill to be considered and and passed. So um, that's the biggest thing. Get involved. People want to know how you get involved. Well, that's one way to do it. And, And you're much better off spending your time Fighting at the state and local level than you are trying to worry about what Donald Trump is doing in Washington, Mm -hmm. D.C. Donald Trump doesn't give a crap about you. Your congressman isn't listening to you. You know We joke sometimes, but it's not even really a joke. Never call the 202 area code. Eh, Don't even bother with Washington, D.C. Make these efforts (coughs) and spend your time at the state and local level where you can actually have a real impact. Uh, That's the thing that I would really emphasize. I said when you see this introduced, take a few minutes. Uh, contact your representatives and let them know you support it. South Carolina, Oklahoma, already pre-filed, definitely will be introduced in West Virginia. Uh, I know for a fact it's going to be introduced in Wyoming, uh, and and I'm certain that there will be other states that will follow as well. So um, that's that's the big thing. Number one, encourage your uh, state reps to introduce it, and then two, once it's introduced, support them, and, and put the pressure on to get it passed.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, make sure you tap me on the shoulder as this uh, as this moves forward and we'll have you back on. We'll talk about it some more. and We'll, we'll, you know, as more information comes out, more states get involved. We'll uh, we'll we'll be able to discuss this early and often. And, uh, you know, try to.
2: My goal, too, is as it. know as they get introduced we're going to start sending out national press releases and we're going to try to get this discussion going on at the at the national level as well so that you know hopefully the mainstream media will pick up on it Uh, folks might remember a few years ago when we were pushing to get the water turned off at the NSA facility at Bluffdale while that ultimately didn't happen uh, it created some great discussion about the overreach of the NSA and made people aware that, hey, we can do something at this state and local level if we have the guts. So uh, I'm really hoping to get this, uh, turn this into a, a national discussion about war powers and about uh, ending the unconstitutional wars, because I think that's an important, uh, as, as much as anything, like I said, having that discussion is important. Uh, that that was one of the wonderful things about the Ron Paul presidential runs is he injected foreign policy into the uh, into the national debate. Absolutely. So this is an opportunity to do that with a piece of state legislation as well.
0: Right. And this isn't an ideological thing. I mean, this is this is a humanitarian thing. This is any any uh, any ideology can get behind um, this this movement and, and just, you know, giving more power back to the people of. Uh, of the states and, and kind of chipping away at the federal powers. So, um, what are you working on right now? What, what what we got looking, looking forward to?
2: Well, that's the, that's the main thing. I honestly, I just got finished moving. So I'm trying to get settled. I haven't done anything other in two weeks other than try to figure out where all my stuff is, (laughs) my boxes this in. So I'm just getting settled back. Uh, you know, we're, We'll have the holiday, and then, like I said, we'll hit the ground running uh, the first week in January when these state legislatures start uh, convening. Nice. Convening, and at, at that point, for me, it's going to be a lot of writing of bill reports and and uh, interacting with state legislators. One of the things that we're doing right now is we're putting together a uh, a FAQ uh, frequently asked questions for legislators uh, about the defend the guard bill that are going you know it's going to go through exactly the constitutional basis uh, and and address up front some of the opposition that that we know will come out. So that's something we're working on. That's one of the uh, big things we do at the 10th Amendment Center is, is kind of that behind-the-scenes work with uh, state legislators to get bills passed. And, of course, this isn't the only issue that we'll be working on. We're working on uh, uh, efforts to uh, promote sound money, to uh, decentralize education, uh, decentralize health care uh, in the surveillance state uh Federal gun control pushing back against that—that's mm-hmm. obviously something that's that's, uh, that's that's becoming more and more a thing in the news. Uh, so you know, that's the overall objective. If people aren't familiar with the 10th Amendment Center, head over to 10thAmendmentCenter.com and check out what we're doing. Our whole objective is to use state and local power to undermine federal authority. And I tell people all the time, it's not because we think state governments are great because they're not—they suck too. Mm-hmm. But uh, we believe that. A centralized authority is the biggest threat to liberty, and the federal government is the biggest centralized monopoly on power that exists in the world. So if we can do anything to decentralize, to take power away from Washington, D.C., devolve it to the states, devolve it to the local level, ultimately we'd love to see it devolved all the way down to the individual. Um, but decentralization is a key strategy for liberty, and that's really what we're working toward at the Tenth Amendment Center from a very practical Yes. To undermine federal authority and decentralize the system. Yeah. Uh, so check out 10thamendmentcenter.com when you get a chance. We would love for you to support the work. Uh, we have a membership program. You can be a member for as little as like two bucks a month. Uh, you know, a lot of people, two bucks a month, and adds up and helps us continue the work that we're doing. So uh, we, we would definitely encourage people to check that out if it's something you're interested
0: in. Yeah, 10th Amendment Center is one of one of my go-tos every week i I'm, I'm i look at the 10th amendment center at least three or four times every week just scrolling through seeing what what's going on because i know y'all y'all uh keep y'all y'all keep up with a lot of uh activism and a lot of uh the government overreach and it's very very much appreciated um anywhere else they that people can find your writings
2: Well, you can find some of my work at uh, Mm -hmm. michaelmeharry.com. I have my own podcast, although it's been kind of on hiatus uh, with the move and whatnot. But I do have a website. I have a couple of books that I've written that you can find at the website. One, about nullification. It explains this whole idea of using state uh, and local power. Uh, It's called uh, Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty, and that's available over at my website. Um, I also have a side project called Godarchy at Godarchy.org, which is a uh, kind of a Christian uh, – Christianarchy, I guess, is the best way to put it, Christian voluntarism, A little bit more of a hardcore anti-government uh, takeover there, but if people are interested in, in that type of thing in the intersection of Christianity and the state, you can check that out Godarchy.org. And then I'm on Twitter, Twitter at Mmehary10th. Um, that's the number, 10th. Mm-hmm. And then I also do uh, I do the Shift Gold website. Uh, so if you're interested in economics and Federal Reserve and how the federal government is destroying your money, uh, you can check out uh, that stuff over there at shiftgold.com news. All that stuff over there is pretty much what I've written.
0: So. Uh, I might need to go over there. That's about it. All right. Well, if you could just hang on one second. I'm going to shut down this recording. And then uh, I-, I wanted to ask you a question um, just yeah. real quick. All right, well, hold on one second. Let me see here. All right. Well, that was my interview with Mike Meharry this morning about the Defend the Guard Act. Um, It's always fun to talk to Mike. He's, uh, as I said early on in the conversation, he's a great resource on all things nullification. If you haven't checked out his book, Our Last Hope, I encourage you to do so. You can get it at his website, uh, MikeMeharry.com, or you can go and get it from the Audible store as well. I don't know if he's selling the audio version on his website. Maybe check it out there. Uh, make sure he gets any any kickbacks that he's entitled to for the sale of that book. And it is a very good book, and it breaks down nullification in such a um, such a great way um, that you could, you could give it to you know, a, an eighth grader and, and they would be able to um, digest the, the arguments for nullification and, and how it can be used state by state and, uh, by, by the people of the state. So I, I really encourage everybody to get a copy of that book. It's a very good book. It's a great introduction into nullification. And uh, makes it very easy to digest for even the lamest of laymen. So, um, I know there was a little bit of audio problems. And there was a buzz in in the uh, interview. I apologize for that. I tried to clean it up as best as I could. We had a cloudy day here in southeast texas appropriately so as we're all feeling a bit under the weather with the loss of our loved one so um i apologize i did clean it up as much as i can i hope that it wasn't too much of a hassle for everybody to listen to um real quick before i let you go go to my brother's website bossbrosdiamonds.com for all of your dabbing essentials. You live a dabbing lifestyle, go to bossbrosdiamonds.com and get the gear that shows everybody that you are a dabber. Just dab it, bossbrosdiamonds.com. Make sure you go to antiwar.com and check out all the foreign policy news being posted every day. I hope to see you at thelibertarianinstitute.org. Make sure you're giving those donations so that the Libertarian Institute can grow. Libertarianinstitute.org and the Tenth Amendment Center. You You can find this episode at the Tenth Amendment Center thanks to Mr. Mike Meharry. And there is so much more there at the Tenth Amendment Center to check out. Um, you have Michael Bolden writing there, you have Mike Meharry, and I believe there's a few others that uh, don't know the names off the top of my head, but I would suggest go check out the 10th Amendment Center. They always have some really good stuff going on there. So, that was today's episode of Year Zero. I almost said Stranger Encounters. Oh my God. What am I doing? No, Year Zero. Um, go check out my buddy's podcast, The Invictus Mind, released Today. Uh, interview with yours truly and i will be re-releasing that at a future date as well so thanks for tuning in i'm tommy salmons late